question the voices of res and I hear Plastics. Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Hey, Lindsay. Afternoon. I was going to say morning, but we are full fledged afternoon at this point. Even in Central Standard Time. Even in Central Standard Time, the (laughs) lesser time zone as it's known around here. I know. I know. (laughs) So um, I am Lindsay Neville. And I am Mercedes Landazri. And with our powers combined, we're plastics. The voices of resin. I thought you were going to join me, so you can yeah, me was, off for a I second. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the we're time. We're it. Okay. Yeah, we could, I liked we, it. Yeah. Ne- never nailing it. Never nailing it <laughs> and always a surprise. You know what? Yeah, I always, think that makes it interesting. Keep it different. Every time, like Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> we're just like, we are on. similar, but not always the same. We're going to give you some guac or all the guac. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so our podcast comes out the first Friday of every month if you want to listen to us and if you want to see us being weird and talking then you listen or you can watch us on YouTube channel um the SBU YouTube channel the third Friday of every month and that YouTube handle is just the number four and SPE yes you can also find the website for SPE.org yes and in addition, if you just want to see what kind of chaotic good we're putting out there, you can always check us out on Instagram at Plastics. It's P-L-A-S-T-C-H-I-C-K-S. Try to do it in one breath. Yeah, that was good. There is no I between Plast and Chicks. I know you want to put one there, but it does not belong. Not in this game. But but we will respond to Plast Chicks as well. And we, we like that name too. In person, but the internet will shut you down. <laughs> But enough about us. Enough about us. Uh, Today, we have a really esteemed guest. We kind of feel honored uh, that he was even willing to join us today. Uh, We have Ed Hall, the president and CEO of Bear Locker. Hi, Ed. Hey, how you doing? Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you, Mercedes, for giving me a chance to join. Um, I'm excited about being part of this, and hopefully we've got some messages, I guess, to share with our industry. Yes, we have a lot of messages, a lot, uh, a lot we want to talk to you about. Um, so before we jump into kind of the meat and potatoes, can you give us just a quick rundown of Bear Locker for um, our friends who maybe yeah. aren't in the industry or are industry adjacent? Yeah, so so Bear Locker USA is part of a group companies of Bear Locker uh, GmbH based in uh, in Germany. Uh, we have a family that's a sharehold that shareholders of the company. Uh, we operate as local entities in our specific regions globally. Uh, here in the U.S., we have two sites. We have the Dover, Ohio site for our liquid stabilizers and a Cincinnati site for solid uh, additives. And our additives are used in plastics. We like to use the tagline, we bring character to plastics. Uh, without materials like ours, plastics aren't usable. So uh, that's a little bit of our business this year in 20. 23 this is our 200th anniversary so later this year we're going to have a birthday party uh to celebrate to celebrate that and um we're currently in i wouldn't say a transition we're moving our 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 business to more um focus on sustainability globally uh and and becoming more than an additives company but to also become a service company how can we help you um you know achieve your objectives 
in in sustainability and recycling. So uh, so that's kind of who we are and and where we're hoping to go. Wow. So Bear Locker got to start not too long after uh, the United States declared independence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we started out as a, a, a sulfuric acid business uh, and then transitioned in multiple times, got into waxes, got into soaps for your body and then converted those soaps into metal soaps, which are used as lubricants and stabilizers and plastics. And it all went from there. So we've we've been here. So like Abraham Lincoln. It's yeah. a, about a possibility that he used it's, your product. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably he probably looked us up somewhere to see if we could help him with his plastic problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Abe, always always investigating. <laughs> That's right. So you're currently the CEO and president of Bear Locker, but tell us more about your background in the plastics industry, your history. Yeah, so I'm a mechanical engineer by training. Uh, I started out with Hitachi, an automotive division based in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. I graduated from the University of Kentucky. Um, I started doing design work for them with plastic components, and that's when I uh, really started to understand uh, plastics and, and turning them into something. Um, I wanted to get back to Cincinnati or Newport, Northern Kentucky, uh, where I'm originally from. And I ended up getting a job with Toyota, uh, in their quality department. I wasn't dealing so much in plastics at that time, but I had my sights set on working for GE and the GE plastics business. And just, I think it was exactly a year after, um, I started with Toyota Denso, I got hired at GE plastics, um, actually November or September 12th, uh, 2001. So the day after nine 11, I joined GE. Oh, plastics. wow. And so was that, it, that's like right around the time that Jack Welch left. Right? It was the same. Yeah. I think, I think I started the day after Jeff ML started. I think he started on the 11th or 12th. I started that day or the day after. Wow. So Jack Welch said, all right, we got this kid coming in here. He's going to take that. Yeah, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. They don't need me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, so I started GE Plastics. Uh, it was in sales and plastics. The interesting thing is Jeff Immel was also a sales guy in plastics and I had his territory. So, wow. yeah, so it was, it was actually kind of interesting. So he knew, he, I, I had been in, in a meeting with him and a lot of my customers, he knew these guys, the same guys that I knew. So it was always a joke that they had my rookie card. <laughs> little did they know I actually would become a president somewhere. So, uh, so I, I enjoyed my time there. Um, and then, uh, went ahead and, uh, got a call from, uh, bear locker in, uh, in additives. I had no clue what they did. Uh, I, you know, I had given up my engineering degree, become, you know, a salesperson. So I didn't know anything about engineering anymore. And then I came here and did some sales work and then uh, got moved into management and know nothing about sales, know nothing about engineering. I'm just a manager now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that worked out. So what, so why did you leave your, I mean, you weren't leaving your engineering degree because salespeople in our field are often highly technical, but yeah. what inspired you to move into uh, the, the so, sales? Yes. So, so when I was with Itachi, uh, with, with Itachi, I had an office also in Detroit. So my customers were the big three. And specifically, I spent most of my time with Ford on doing um, engine, underhood engine components for like intake systems. Uh, um, so helping design the, you know, filter systems and the sensors going into the engine. I really liked the collaboration with my customer. 
Um, I liked being in, I liked the lab, there was no doubt about it, but I also really liked the negotiation. When we were getting to the point where things were kind of working, how do we gain value for the work that we did? You know, keeping keeping our prices up or helping get prices, extending into different, you know, applications, explore to, you know, to whatever the different, I, I really enjoyed that negotiation part of the business. And um, I, I don't know where it came from, but I always enjoyed that. And then as I, you know, I got, I went to Toyota uh, and I was doing quality. I liked the job, but it was kind of boring to me. And once I heard about the opportunity at GE, great name, uh, you know, big company at the time, I think it was the largest company. I had an opportunity to really uh, go after it and I got a chance to do sales and I absolutely fell in love with sales. So did you ever, did you ever get out to the Selkirk, New York location? Yeah. Um, well, we had an, our offices were in Massachusetts. Yeah. Selkirk, they made, uh, I can't remember what it was the PPS products, uh, PPS. No, the Neuril products, it was yeah. the products and, uh, color, uh, they did color up there too. Uh, mm-hmm. so I went up there a few times. I took customers up there for the color, uh, d- um, design work. And then I was up in Pittsfield, Mass quite a bit wow. since, since we were headquartered up there. So do you, do you happen to remember, I'm asking this for a very specific unrelated to this. <laughs> Where are we going? With it? Okay. Okay. Do you happen to remember back in the day when it was still GE before, you know, it was now Sabic that plant um, were the, was the speed limit on the pat on the road to the plant was it 36 and a half miles per hour then because it's the only you time it was, it was, it was some, you're right it was something weird like that it i was. completely <laughs> forgot about that but you're right there was what was it and I, there, I, there had to be a story behind that but i have no clue i have no clue what that was unless somebody was converting it from kilometers I just I still have that picture on my phone I made my boss stop and uh <laughs> we might have been late for the meeting but it was worth Bye. it 100 <laughs> percent worth it you see a weird sign you take a picture you do not ask questions <laughs> so but getting getting back to to your background so what then inspired you to move into management from sales well um so when I first came in, I was given a role. I had a sales territory, sales territory, and I had a couple of sales guys working for me, and then the customer service. So I, it was a, a transition just in my career, something I'd been interested in doing, and um, I don't know. I felt I, I had a lot to learn. I'm sure I made many mistakes when I first took this role, but I really enjoyed also the working with other people, um, and. Uh, I can be tough when I need to be, but I also, I think I really like to spend time with people and help developing people. So that was a, that was a big interest of mine. I also, you know, as I was going through this process, I really liked being part of the strategy of a company, not just selling, not just trying to create value, but, or, you know, showing value, but creating value through our strategy. And so it was a, it was a pretty interesting time until I took this role. So I started there in 2007. I took my current role in 2016 and there was a lot of fluctuations going on in the industry, a lot of changes. And I frankly had, I had been asked, would you be interested in this job? And I said, no, I I wasn't. I said, I wasn't interested in the job. Yeah. I really said that because I was having a good time doing what I was doing. Uh And uh, a little bit later, my, my current boss came back and said, yeah, I'd really like to talk to you about taking that job. And when I realized he was serious, I said, hmm, I have an opportunity, I think, to to do to do more than I was doing before. So 
I don't know. I was, I was inspired by him as well. So I got a pretty good box. So, so like the Shakespeare quote, was it from 12th night? The some are born great, some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, or the lady don't protest too much. So you mentioned earlier, Bear Locker is kind of starting to move into that like sustainability arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you guys have been at um, a lot of events and you've hosted a lot of events recently. I think I saw you guys hosted one in August, something yep. on that time frame. Yep. Um, and, you know, one of the things is, you know, you guys are saying sustainability requires a lot of education, which I don't think anyone can disagree with. Um, So what do you think is one of the things that a lot of people overlook when they say, all right, let's move to sustainability. What is something they're just, you know, maybe not thinking about or misunderstanding? So, so, okay. So there's, there's two different ways I, I look at it. So there's the consumer side and then there's the, let's say the producer side, right? The brand owners and things like that. I think, I think, so we have to somehow, there's got to be a gap that's bridged. So a lot of consumers, a lot of people on the other side think that plastics are like a, you know, terrible, right? We only use them when we have to, and we shouldn't use them at all. And, but I think, I think it's important to set the stage appropriately that people realize that actually plastics are a very sustainable option for especially things like food, food containers, which are get a lot of tough, you know, challenges as single use products, but there's a lot of value in public health, uh, the energy used to, to produce one of these things. And we got to somehow get that message out. And then on the producer side, you know, guys like me making anatomies and people making plastics and really converting that into a package. I think we also have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, there, there might be times when they shouldn't be using plastic. You know, maybe we are good salespeople and we're convincing somebody that they should be using plastic. I think we need to be honest with, with ourselves and say, at what point do we say, all right, you know what? We shouldn't probably use plastics here, whether it's glass or cardboard or paper. There are times and if we're really if we're really committed to sustainability, um, we have to be honest about that and say and, and, and you know, even as a pragmatic perspective, somebody that may not like that, you know, in the industry say, okay, at least be pragmatic about it and say, all right, fine. I'm going to, I'm going to not, this isn't the hill I'm going to die on. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think we have to be, um, I don't know. We have to somehow come to come to an agreement that there's good. And then sometimes it's like, well, we shouldn't probably do this anyway. Be honest with society, be, you know, transparent. That's, that really comes in as a matter of integrity for me and people want to do business with honest and people, you know, that, that have high integrity. And I think as a plastics industry, we have, we have some a part to play in, in building that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, so Ed, your, your mantra for one of your recent recycling summits was teach, learn and collaborate. Yep. Why do you think it's so important to have this approach in our industry? Well, um, I, I've been using TLC, you know, since August when we first um, 
bringing everybody together. And, and why I started that con, why, why I thought of that in the first place is we, we do a, a PVC technical summit in the spring. We've done that now for five or six years. And we started this, um, this summit for recycling that we did in August. We're going to probably do it again this coming year. And one of the things that's really hard for a company um, was, yeah, I've got salespeople there. I've got technical people there. I've got managers there. And I got to tell everybody, I got to remind them, this is not a sales pitch, right? We're not bringing people in here to sell them on our additives. I don't care what they buy, who they buy it from. This is about learning, right? This is, this is what it is. And it, it occurred to me, I might've already been kind of given in that speech when it popped in my head, your job, your job while people are here are to teach them, learn something from them and collaborate with them. Because especially in the recycling industry, you've got you've got in our summit we had about 100 people and i remember looking out and i said wow i i think when i i kicked it off i said something like i see 100 entrepreneurs out here and 100 people with a lot of courage because 90 percent of people in the world don't like you in the first place because you're in plastics and of the and 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 of that 90 percent of the people in plastics don't like you because you're recycling i said so (laughs) there is a group of very courageous entrepreneurs in this room and a lot of entrepreneurs they have their own you know where they're going to go they have in their mind sometimes we you know as, a, as an entrepreneur you think you know something when you really don't you sometimes want to do it on your own and when you look at the challenge we have in front of us as a plastics industry and recycling no one knows where the future is going to be in four years right three years four years five years and we all have these own objectives and goals. You, it, it's interesting because in the recycle market, right? The va- every piece of the value chain, if one of those things doesn't work well, it's not going to work. So, for example, the guy that collects the garbage has to do his job. The guy that sorts the garbage has to do his job. The guy that puts additives in that garbage to turn it into a pellet has to do his job. And this industry hasn't worked together. Right. And and because, I mean, they're trying, but there's so many different ways of doing it that if we don't collaborate and move in the same direction, it's not, we're not going to be successful, at least in the short term. And the only way to collaborate is to learn. And the only way to learn is that somebody teaches. So at the end of the day, our summits and even in our sales calls, when we're talking to customers, we, we keep in our mind, this is not a sales pitch because some just because you know, it's through being a trusted advisor to the industry. Let's teach, let's learn, and let's collaborate. That's what it takes. That's all it's going to take to be successful as a group. This episode is supported by the Plastics Industry Association. Woohoo! Mercedes and I are super excited because we're going to join the Plastics Industry Association for the Refocus Recycling and Sustainability Summit May 1st through 4th in Minneapolis. That's where Prince is from. Refocus features action-oriented conversations to equip industry problem solvers and doers with the knowledge and tactics to accelerate plastic sustainability in their company's portfolio. And it addresses sustainability in the plastics industry 
by the plastics industry, for the people, by the people. And, and as a special treat to our listeners, you will receive 30% discount on the non-member rate when you use the code PLASTICS. That's P-L-A-S-T-C-H-I-C-K-S. We got a code. Look at us. We are code people now. And if you want to learn more and register to join, go to the link in the show notes or go to Plastics Industries website at plasticsindustry.org. That's interesting. You know, as you were speaking, it kind of made me think it this this philosophy also kind of parallels your own career path where it's like I, you know, I had thought, okay, he's a CEO. Maybe he's he started out wanting to be CEO and all of these steps were very deliberate to get to that place, but really you were just TLCing all along. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I never about that. Yeah. I mean that's yeah, that's true. I've never uh and I think the industry actually I think that's a good point. I think if I look at the recycle industry, I think one of the things that's made my life a little bit easier and is I, I never said, okay, I'm aiming at that target. And then anything that throws me off, I feel like I'm failing. I always had a goal, right, in my my life. But my goal was not I want to be that job. My goal is I want to have, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to make, you know, I want to have purpose in what I'm doing and make some money at it, you know, to feed my family. I think one of the things we could get locked into in recycling is we're going to set our eyes just on some number or something like that. And there's going to be opportunities open up or different ways of doing things that we can lock ourselves into pursuing this path. Maybe I wanted to, if I said I wanted to be the best engineer ever, you know, I would have maybe missed a lot of opportunities. And I think in recycle, when you look at that whole value chain, there's going to be opportunities that if we're too focused and we think we know what we want, we will miss opportunities that could present themselves to us as an industry. So have a goal, you know, have a vision, but you can't be, you can't just say, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be this guy or this lady or 30% recycle. You got to have a goal, but you got to be flexible, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very, I mean, some of the things that you're saying, it's the the very topical right now with Ellen MacArthur foundation, calling out all these companies for not hitting their, you know, 30%, 50%, whatever the targets they set. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of brains in the plastics industry mm-hmm. and if they would work together and clear and, and forget about trying to be the, this beat this guy right. move here and slowly do it, there's plenty to go around, man. You know, and if, if we can influence society in a positive way by showing them what we can do as plastics industry, it, we're all, we're all the better for it. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, I was kind of talking, um, on a similar type of thing of talking about with the, you know, labeling products as green or, you know, organic or, you know, whatever recycled when it's, and someone was telling me that they actually, there was like a certain percentage, their company had to put a certain percentage of products labeled as green. And at one point they were just like, you know, it's bottom of the barrel, definition of green just to say they're doing green and i think that's a really good example of like you're just trying to hit the target you're not necessarily getting the goal yeah and and nobody's gonna and if we're all fighting for that 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 pound so one of the things i've looked at and i've said this so the because we haven't collaborated well right and we still have so much to learn i'm sure people are going to solve these problems and think about them the amount of recycled materials that we can use recycled plastic is very, very, the, the, is very narrow because there are 
maybe things that additives are going to be able to help out. Maybe different processes are going to be able to help out, but we've actually locked ourselves into um, recycled plastics, which most people would think is garbage has become so valued because of the targets we've set, but the supply is so narrow because of the, because we haven't worked on the technical solutions or maybe the, the recovery or the, Right. The solutions use them. We now have the special additive that costs so much money. You know, it's like gold. If we just stop and work together to somehow broaden that what's available or and or how we can turn it into something usable, uh, we're going to win. And again, nobody can do it on their own. And, and with with with, you know, the, the temperature in society as far as plastics in sometimes in some cases, we were going to say, OK, this is what we look like. My poison tastes better than your poison. Until we get together and teach people that these are vitamins, not poisons. Yeah. And we can't, no one, no one company is going to do that on their own. It's just not going to happen. We're wasting time. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're discussing within, you know, the sustainability about kind of being our, all of our responsibility uh, feeds into something else you mentioned, which was your uh, Bear Locker's Code of Ethics. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of uh, touch on what that is? And you know, obviously, it, it through what you've said already, it kind of <laughs> kind of shows itself. But um, can you just kind of go into more detail on that? Yeah. So we have we have three pillars, or really three foundations for our Code of Ethics. That's respect, integrity, and excellence. And um, I'm I'm pretty proud of my team um, in that. They know, everybody here knows, 105 people in Cincinnati site knows respect, integrity, and excellence is what we're here for. And uh, there was an event recently, which I think how we got connected with someone who showed a very, very severe, severe disrespect for uh, one, of my, one of my teammates. And uh, she happened to be a female and comments that I got from, back from people that were at this event said, you know, there was kind of a hint of, uh, of, you know, misogynistic behavior, you know, things that they said on the side or things that, you know, maybe not directly said, but felt had this presence of things that may not have happened if it was a guy standing up there. Now, those are opinions. I wasn't there, but I took that and I said, okay, whether it's true, whether it's not true in this particular case, I've seen it myself. I have seen it myself. And when you talk about, I mean, it, it, all these things come together because to me, it was almost an element of how we're treating each other in the industry. You know, I, I mean, I, I have two daughters and I've seen people treat them not the way that I feel like they should be treated. They've told me they're afraid that they're not going to be treated that way. And now I have people saying that someone from my team was treated like that. And it, it, it made me very emotional, very upset. I got in touch with SPE and SPE did a great job in helping resolve this. But at the end of the day, we as, so if we have people that want to trust us as an organization, but we can't even trust each other, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we, we're not showing respect for each other, you know, why would, why would anybody in the world have respect for us? You know, and, and, uh, yeah. Again, if before you even get to collaboration, you have to have respect. You're not going to collaborate with anybody you don't respect, right? Yeah, and, not uh, a mean boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm. Yeah, I still actually get a little choked up by this. That 
you know, that, that someone treated uh, someone like that up on stage with disrespect, that, that especially a young person new in their career who's standing up there um, to teach other people. That's mm-hmm. her job was teaching uh, a, a, an introductory course on plastics and additives to people coming out of college. And they witnessed this. And I can only imagine somebody went home and was like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of that. And exactly. I think that's, you know, one of the things that the industry really needs to take to heart is, you know, the respect for each other. And there's a lot of times we start to talk about, you know, who's going to be in this industry. We're starting to look for, you know, the younger generations interested in joining this industry. And if we stick by that standard of like every person for themselves, uh, it, you know, it does come across as aggressive. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with someone recently about how, you know, the younger generation just doesn't want to work as hard and they don't want to be here doing as much. And I, I don't think, I think that's the perspective that that person has, but, you know, I, I said, coming from the opposite end of it, I think we've seen people work really hard and then say, Hey, I wanted more time with my family. I wanted to be able to do something I love, have a passion for it, but also be with the people I love. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we assume it has to be one or the other. And if you're not giving all for the one, I am not going to respect you. And I think, you know, if we all recognize that if you want to pick one or the other, that's totally, totally yeah, fine. Yeah, right. But you can't disrespect or assume that the people that aren't giving all to the same thing you believe you need to give all to mm-hmm. um, are, are coming from an uninformed or uneducated place because yeah. they're not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, aren't we, you know, if, if we're also honest with ourselves, I mean, the plastics industry, we're, we're an aging industry, plastics themselves. And a lot of people that came out, you know, and, and made a big impact in the plastics industry are starting to retire. And uh, we have to somehow, backfill this loss of energy you know brain power and knowledge with with new new people coming out of college right and if we're not spending time as those that have been around with those that are coming in and those and allowing those coming in to teach us something to the people who think we know everything right i always use like to use the term you know iron sharpens iron and if we if we don't accept let's say new people coming in come with different backgrounds than people did in the 70s you know females making their way into the workforce into manufacturing uh and and management roles in companies if we're not willing to accept that we can you know we we can really cause a lot of more a lot of problems for ourselves you know as industry but just as people too because um we've got to we also have to look as an industry, we have to reflect our society, right? Um, yeah, I mean, some some of my friends, you know, I talk about myself and some of the guys that work, so we're a bunch of old white men, you know, and, and that's great. Old white men are great, but you know what? There's more than one color in a rainbow, right? And it's it's mm-hmm. it has to do with all kinds of different perspectives and backgrounds. And uh, if we if we if we can harness all that energy then uh then you know then collaboration happens normally and uh yeah i think the world would be a better place yeah well yeah the the sorry Lindsay, go ahead well i I was actually just gonna steal the story you always tell um you know we we interviewed someone 
a while back now, probably 2020. Um, and basically, you know, her perspective was coming from a country where, you know, she didn't have access, not is access to not, not having clean water. Yeah. And, you know, basically she invented this, you know, her invention stemmed from that perspective. And, mm. you know, if you think about all these, you know, was it uh, necessity is the mother of invention? Yes. You know, that alone, if you know, you should be looking at diversity within that diversity of thought is always going to oh, yeah. help you on these projects that are stuck or sustainability where we're not working together or where we're not collaborating or seeing, you know, seeing it from around the corner. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and when you get, I mean, again, you've got to reflect the, your society because, you know, what, what, was uh i mean our core beliefs at barrel respect integrity, and excellence so it's not going to change but around us the world changes mm -hmm. right and so what's important today may not be what's important tomorrow as far as societal you know so but as we if we're not listening to the people coming up here's what society looks like from a different vantage point than yours you know as a mm -hmm. 50 year old man our vantage point is different than yours, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to hear those things. And there's going to be ideas. Necessity is a mother invention. You know, why not use all of the brains available to us instead of just 10% of them? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I, I went on a Reddit rant about this last night. Actually. <laughs> it, you were up very late last night, goes, with Every night. It, it goes both ways, too. What I, Another thing that I see happening in the industry and, and why maybe some of these people who are getting ready to retire aren't fully transferring their knowledge is because they don't feel respected by the younger generation because yep. a lot of these people come in and you know us included come in and want like hey i want to do this i want to do that and i have all this great stuff um you know the the older generation in our industry it was all i always say it was dustin hoffman in the graduate now grown up right <laughs> and there's a full generational gap in between right and uh, all of these these people who are well established in the industry they are out of practice singing their own praises. They don't know how to market themselves to the younger people. And because they haven't had to, when they were coming yeah. up, everybody was, you know, who was around them saw their accomplishments. And, mm -hmm. and so that's a, a piece too, that I, I hadn't really thought about until the middle yeah. of the night last night when I was posting on Reddit <laughs> about this very problem. <laughs> and I, you know, I see that from my, 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 my seat. I have a very open door policy. My door is open. You don't knock, you just walk right into my office. And I hear all kinds of things like that. And I'll hear from, you know, people in the later stages of their, of their career saying, you know, they don't pay attention. You know, I don't, you know, I, we got this and that, and I don't know what they're thinking. And then you get people that are just coming to their career saying, you know, I don't know what this guy's talking about. You know, it, that's not the way things work. And you get sometimes like you got to say, no, that is the way that things work. You got to listen to you got you got to hear and listen to the experience that these guys have. Yeah. I mean, I just thought I just thought Ed Hall was some CEO and president. I didn't realize he actually worked Jeff ML sales territory. <laughs> oh, yeah. No post about that. I'm not it. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said for sure. So um, I know we're running short on time here, Is but we want to know, is there anything going on at Bear Locker that you're really excited uh, to share with us that you're able to share? Whew. 
um, or the top secret stuff. We like that too. Yeah. If you want to go ahead, you Inside know, scoop. We're in. scooping plastics news. <laughs> yes. I, I, I just think, I think the thing that excites me most just about, at least with us, um, is the, the recycle sustainability. We, you know, it's funny is we have just in the way that the business is today, recycle, we have very little to contribute from a chemical perspective. We, I mean, the things that we have, people are going to need them, but it's a very, very small part of this industry. So I think, I mean, as we figure out ways to solve, I know our business is going to grow. We're a commercial operation, right? We're here, we're here to make money in return to the investor on the money they've they've committed. But you know, it's like it's like that. It's it's like what I was talking about before. We have a goal and a vision to influence and be part of the not just part of the market, but to influence the market in recycling. I know there's going to be opportunities that open themselves up to us to be able to take advantage of. So so that's exciting. It's scary sometimes. I ask for a lot of money to do something. They say, "What's the return?" And I say, "I have no idea." You know, we haven't found it yet. <laughs> hang on it'll be there <laughs> i promise it's gonna show up. i promise it's gonna show up but it takes us to actually another part i i had mentioned when i first was speaking was regarding the service part of our business yeah. um and i see a huge opportunity for us and not just to be a chemical company but to be a chemistry company and by that i mean coming with solutions so so i meet you you meet me we get along we can relate that's chemistry right so so i think we have an opportunity to become more than just a chemical company but to be a chemistry company and the way to do that is to bring solutions to you um, that you've not thought about and so we're getting ready to harness some of that energy let's say of those of those people that are retiring um our experts within our business and we're going to say we want to be able to provide the this experience to you how how we monetize that or how how we we do that i don't know i think i think we are going to become as much of a service business as we are a chemical business so i like to say as a chemistry business at least here in the us that's kind of part of our goal and we're starting to hear people say hey you know for our technical team could you be a consultant for us so we're seeing where people see the value in my team and uh, are saying hey we're willing to pay for that we're willing to pay for that and even that is you know diversity of perspective coming in yep. helping these companies out that have done it the same way they know what they need but yep. all of a sudden they're inviting this new diverse perspective in. And, and when they really trust us and realize I'm not there just to sell you some food, food dust that, <laughs> you know, and you could do it five other ways. Once they realize and they can trust you, mm -hmm. you're a trusted advisor to them. They're more willing to open up and collaborate, which is again, the most important part. And they're saying, we'd like to, we'd like to hire your guys. We don't, we want to buy your, your additives, but we also want, we want to pay for the, the, the knowledge that you're providing to us. I, I think that to me, that's probably one of the biggest things is how do you convert from a chemical company to a chemistry company? And my team's figuring out ways to do that. Mm -hmm. I saw I Mercedes that. write that down. So, you know, she's I, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, you did. You creeper. Yeah, I, I see you. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's wonderful. I love that for moving from a chemical company to also a chemistry company. Yeah. That's that's powerful. Um, well, I think I think we're about out of time for today. But um, 
Uh, Ed Hall, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for um, advocating for respect in the industry um, and for for all that you do to to build people up and and bring people together and open people's minds. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to hear me out. Thank you. (laughs) This episode is supported by the Plastics Industry Association. Mercedes and I are super excited because we're going to join the Plastics Industry Association for the Refocus Recycling and Sustainability Summit May 1st through 4th in Minneapolis. That's where Prince is from. Refocus features action-oriented conversations to equip industry problem solvers and doers with the knowledge and tactics to accelerate plastic sustainability in their company's portfolio. And it addresses sustainability in the plastics industry by the plastics industry, for the people, by the people. And, and as a special treat to our listeners, you will receive 30% discount on the non-member rate when you use the code PLASTICS. That's P-L-A-S-T-C-H-I-C-K-S. We got a code. Look at us. We are code people now. And if you want to learn more and register to join, go to the link in the show notes or go to Plastics Industries website at plasticsindustry.org. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh. Last chicks.